Welcome to Help From Future Self. Howdy, Archons. Welcome to another episode of Help From Future Self. It's the conversational Keyforge podcast that we hope you know and love by and for Keyforge friends. My name is Scuzzy Gruen. I hope that I am one of your Keyforge friends. And if this is your first episode, when we will soon be pals, I'm sure of it. I am joined this week by two of my very best Keyforge friends. We've got SC Steele. Hey, hey. And Boulevard Blake. Yo, what's going on, everyone? So happy to be joining you both for the second week of our analysis of the houses that are going to be leaving Keyforge when Winds of Exchange, whenever it is released, and we don't know when, just to recap, this is the set that has been designed, but until the algorithm is fixed, will not be released, comes out. We know three houses are leaving the game for that set. Last week, we had a great conversation about Shadows. The other two houses that are going to be leaving are Logos and Untamed. I believe in last episode I said that Untamed would be discussed this week, but we actually really, really wanted to have uh, the Wheeling Keyforger Rick on to discuss that. So we're just going to go right to Logos and talk about them a little bit. And as Sydney, I believe you're going to be leading the convo for this one. I'm super excited. Logos is my favorite house and I definitely want to do it justice. All right. Well, why don't we get into it? Sydney, let's talk Logos. All right, all right. So as everyone listening knows, and if you don't know, you might not have been around for CODA, but the name of this podcast, Help From Future Self, is actually derived from a CODA Logos card. So we wouldn't be saying goodbye to Logos. We wouldn't be doing this podcast and Logos any honors if we didn't talk about how this podcast got its name. So Blake or Alex, one of you two want to let us know? Now, my recollection of this, Blake, and please feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, was that you and I and, and Rick were just brainstorming uh, names for the podcast. And one of the things that we settled on was that Help From Future Self was something that sounded really cool. Like, obviously, it was a card name, so it said Keyforge. But also, it really fed into what we kind of felt the podcast would be about learning about knowledge and everything else. Additionally, it had that connection to The Time Traveler, which I believe even at that time was Rick's absolute favorite card. So I know he was all on board with it. That sounds about right. Yeah, definitely the the named segment Help From Future Self that we do at the end of every show is kind of, I guess, that sums up, I think, the way we wanted to talk about it. And it's like, you know, learning from your past and thinking about the future, so to speak, is kind of how we, we decided to land on that one. I think, yeah, I think it was just a general brainstorming and then we came to that one. Well, we... We love Logos and uh, we, we do it justice by having a podcast every week in its name. Also, mm-hmm. shout out to um, Bouncing Death Quark and Wild Wormhole, two other Keyforge podcasts with a uh, Logos card as their name. But um, There so- was another one, the now very defunct podcast that I was on for a little bit called Library Access. Some of y'all might remember that one. Ooh, might have to go dig up some of those episodes. I'll be honest with you, I wouldn't bother. <laughs> <laughs> well, good thing we have you here with us now. So um, Logos has been the the draw archive masters over the course of most of these sets. So similar to, to our Shadows conversation last week, there, there are a lot of actions and very, very tiny creatures, but Logos has a completely different feel from shadows what what does logos represent to you two 
Well, uh, you mentioned card draw um, and deck manipulation, I think, as sort of the defining traits of Logos. I'll also put out there that they've always been very strong in basically every area. They've always had pretty good amber control. Like there are classic cards like uh, Effervescent Principle and Instrumental Graph that have offered them that, as well as less, less successful ones like Dimension Door, which almost never goes off, but I think was still in that same vein. Additionally, they've also been the Destruction Masters. There's always been cards like Neutron Shark and uh, uh, a Bouncing Death Quark in the mix that offer them that as well. So They've never kind of been deficient in any area, and the mechanic that they were most special at, which is card draw and now archiving, offers so many advantages. I think steel is perhaps the the most game-swingy effect, but the most turn-over-turn value comes out of that particular effect, and that's one of the things that has made Logo so dominant over every set. Yeah, for me, it's uh, always been the efficiency that Logos provides in a deck. Uh, it's no... It's no, I guess, mystery that if you have Logos and your efficiency score in a deck is much higher, it is almost a direct cause of Logos being present. Uh, I also find that Logos has some of the most interesting artifacts in the game. Not in terms of just like their power, but it just creates unique situations that occur that are very interesting and enjoyable to play and interact with in their many different forms, and especially as logos has evolved over set versus set they just keep getting more uh, interesting and staying in that vein which i've always really appreciated so actually that represents something that was really prevalent in coda you said that uh, logos evolved over the course of all the sets well the, f the first set that it was in had a lot of one card wonders a lot of very basic but very hard hitting cards so something like library access where you draw a card every time you played a card that was it hasn't been seen since and was so powerful they decided they had to errata it but um there there's some other cards that um have no no match ever since coda like um, mother and it has daughter in, in later sets but as a five power creature it was probably at the time one of the biggest creatures that would even hit the board for Logos but do, do you have any specific Coda memories of Logos cards that have uh, done you guys some service? Yeah for me it's definitely mother is always one that I absolutely love and I think it's such a great card that puts in a lot of work. Uh, along with that, one that I kind of miss and wish that still was around is a Psychic Bug. Ooh, yeah. um, I think that one is is really cool. I mean, it it did show up again, but it's uh, it's it's uh, I believe it was in Mass Mutation as well, or no, it was only in Coda. It was only in Coda, but it's um, it's really interesting to have that card. I just think it does uh, really unique stuff, or maybe it was in Mass Mutation. Was it? Psychic Bug? Yeah. Psychic Bug was uh, only in Coda, according to uh, Archon Arcana. That's what I was looking to, but I swear I had it in my deck last night, so I'm, I'm tripping out now. Uh, but anyways, <laughs> moving on. It's, um, I, I also like the thematic quality that uh, was in the Coda era. Like You saw these cool robots and cyborgs that existed, and I, I just really liked the way that played into everything and i thought it was was a uh, real neato bandito to say the least uh, and it made me have an affinity for them as well as their whole um color scheme that 
was adopted with it. it. I really drew to Logos very quickly early on. And I just had a lot of great memories of this set providing such interesting, or, or this house in this set providing some really interesting first glances of what the game holds. I thought it was a very good introduction into what Keyforge can be. Yeah, I, I would 100% agree with you on that, Blake. Um, as for my favorite cards, um, I'm a big proponent of sloppy, sloppy lab work. Um, uh, lab work is fine, just archive a card, but being able to discard a card and archive a card and get an amber for it, to me, like I remember realizing how incredibly powerful that was. And it really did feed into my understanding of basically the power of using logos and the advantage that could be created from cycling your deck and there's so many cards that allow you to take advantage of that including one of my absolute favorite sydney which is reverse time which is if you get a hot opening hand and play it and then get to play a reverse time on your second turn and then get to replay all those cards again it can be so good um and yeah so you know i have a lot of great times with reverse time there's a couple times when i pulled off the less well-known than the Nepenthe Seed library access combo, the reverse <laughs> time library access combo, where, you know, I, I rule of rule of six, like every single card in my deck. Well, the poor player opposite me just sat there not having a very good time. And I apologize to them in retrospect, but man, there's just so many good cards in the coda for logos. Like I could go on. Um, you, you mentioned great actions. There was scrambler storm. Your opponent cannot play action cards on the, their next turn, um, which would later get resurrected as stealth mode in star alliance um in addition to that you had great uh, cheats like doc bockton for or sorry not cheats but card draw from people like doc bockton there's very little low value stuff in here i guess i would say that you know if you're looking at some of the lesser cards um i've never been big on osmo martianologist dexter is kind of annoying um <laughs> You know, there, there's maybe one or two others. Strange Gizmo can be a difficult one. And of course, you know, Blake has been bitten by by Wild Wormhole, as have we all in one game or another. But I've always been fond of Wild Wormhole because that adds to the chaos. And that's that's a lot of fun for me. So, you know, uh, b- b- perhaps, you know, there's there's a couple of others that are a little less, uh, little less great. But how could we finish this segment off without talking about the Time Traveler? I know if Rick was here, he would be talking about it. Um, it is just a phenomenal card. It offers so much. It's recurrable. Um, it's, you know, it can do so many things. And the fact that it came paired with Help from Future Self was our first real taster of that particular sort of pairing mechanic. Cards that belong together, that come together in a deck. And uh, that, that sort of set the tone a lot for a lot of Keyforge uh, going forward. Is it probably, you think, like top three best cards in the game? Time Traveler? Yeah. In the Coda era, I would agree with you. No, I mean in the course of the game, like like that's that's existed because I think N- Nature's Call would be on people's list. Control the Weak would exist on that list, but I think Time Travel adds the most value because you're getting Draw, you're getting Ember, and you're getting Recursion all at the same time. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly a case to be made for it. If somebody said that, I wouldn't say that they didn't know what they were talking about. Yeah, I think it's up there. I do think it it definitely had a showing in in Coda. It was probably one of the strongest cards, but once once the meta started moving a little farther away from just the simple aspects of of manipulating the deck that time traveler might be a, a teensy bit less powerful with some of the um more board heavy games that happened in later sets uh well time travel wasn't in later sets but the actual it was an card- AOA. 
it wasn't AOA, you're right. And that actually, that that's a great transition because AOA ended up having a lot of, of fun combos and Logos and AOA had a ton of cards that went together really well, like the um, Brig combo, Binate Rupture and Interdimensional Graft. And I think one of the things that slowed Logos down in AOA is as fun as these combos were, they ended up making all of the really hard hitting effects take longer or were more luck based because you had to have two or more cards to make them go off. So what what were your two overall feelings for the transition from Coda to AOA for Logos? For me, I actually think that Coda Logos is the most uninteresting version of Logos within the game. Really? That being... I, yes, I really do. I think that the most interesting interesting thing started happening once we got into AOA. Like everything was just so much more like nuanced. You like you said, you had to start pairing things together. We got rid of the straightforward stuff that was occurring when you just would play cards. Like you had to start planning things out. You had to be more conscious of what you were doing. Um, prime example is Titan Librarian is probably one of my absolute most favorite cards, just because of the it's like a low-key stealth giving you a huge advantage that your opponent doesn't see right away but if it goes unchecked it creates a big problem for your opponent so i absolutely love it based on that and then as well you had started getting really interesting logos identity really forming in the form of igor coming into play and things like the all the zyx suite coming like those two things i thought were such interesting aspects to suddenly inject into the game and fully embody the identity of what felt like logos but take it in a more i guess i want to say it's more targeted approach because if you look at coda it was like a little bit all over the map like you had a lot of stealing you like the ember control was quite strong in logos and you already had that in other houses but their main thing was efficiency and so they really dialed that back in logos almost to the detriment in a way of the whole set, but the identity of Logos really emerged in AOA and I felt like it was built on from that moment with every set we've seen since. Yeah, I guess my my, my general feeling is similar to yours, Blake. Like Logos in Coda, like almost every house in Coda had a real shock and awe, like, oh my God, I can't believe how powerful these cards are. And they've had to dial that back somewhat. Um, and the way that they dialed it back I agree with you in AOA is a lot more interesting because it's a lot more identity based. Um, I think that some of the most iconic logos cards from the AOA era, stuff like Archimedes really do fill Mm -hmm. out that identity, that idea of, okay, uh, here's a problem that your opponent has to deal with before they can deal with the problems on that problem's flank. Uh, before that they can do that. And I, like, I thought that was interesting. I loved stuff like Binite Rupture um, and, of course, the, the legendary Brig combo notwithstanding. Um, and, you know, we started to really see lots of interesting things pop up. Like you mentioned, Igor. Eureka was, like, one of the best oh, yeah. uh, uh, sort of turn one cards that it's possible to play in the game, I think, still at this point. Um you know, Master the Theory offered options if you had a clear board for doing various things. You know, there's there's just lots of interesting stuff in AOA, but you're right in that it was noticeably less powerful than in Coda. Uh, that's true of most houses, but I do feel like Logos took one of the biggest hits while still being one of the most powerful houses in the game at that time, if not the most powerful. 
I actually agree. A lot of those cards weren't reprinted for Worlds Collide. And I was very disappointed because they were super fun. And I think that they would have had a great place in, in a power reset of the game. If they had just continued on, they would have been supported more by some of the other cards that came out in Worlds Collide. And I think that they would have been a lot more hard hitting. But for, for Worlds Collide, I actually, I think that's where, where Logos cards started to define the meta in the sets. I know that Worlds Collide had Infernus, but Infernus basically was a a card that had, it basically stopped the meta. It didn't define the meta. I think other cards in Logos actually directed how games were played. Speaking of Eddie, Eddie was started the, the key cost increase fanatic. And so it really went crazy in Worlds Collide where there are games where keys cost um, it, uh, too much to even be able to forge by the end of the game. There, there are some fun stories where people had hundreds of amber because for some reason there were um, combos of lots of cards in archives as well as lots of eddies on the board and, and lots of copies of um, other things that increased key costs. But I think that Worlds Collide was where Logos actually, for me, really started to shine. I would agree. It it started to get the the balance, and that's where we first saw where they decided we're not making this card anymore. But we like the idea of it and daughter showing up because daughter is now a mainstay in the game because I think they found the power balance from mother, and then they kept the synergy of calling it mother daughter, obviously, which is great. And I I really enjoyed that. I also find it interesting that that was the first iteration of something that was an issue in the past being retweaked and brought into the present in a way that was more appropriate for the game in a way because if you look at all the cards that have not been reprinted you'll notice there's a pattern anytime there was a rules kind of confusion or ruling or anything like that those cards did not see the light of day again so archimedes we haven't seen since there was library access we haven't seen since mother didn't have the rules thing but i guess they just deemed that five power was too much and mm-hmm. so I find it very interesting seeing that pattern in logos of cards that I guess were deemed problematic in some way or another and just didn't come back as a result. But it was cool to see the evolution of a card and that had continued on, especially in logos at that point. Yeah, I mean, uh, to me, Worlds Collide is kind of the definitive logo set as far as I'm concerned. It's yeah. the one where the the true like power of Logos as a house is most pronounced. And it has lots of just individually very cool cards that were very like fun to explore and that had lots of utility within decks. Like, uh, I love Babbling Bibliophile because I love the idea of this one power creature but you still have to address it because it's too powerful to leave on the board to let somebody draw two more cards i love the idea of candle unit you know that repate that uh became very apparent in that set and having it just be well you're just giving your opponent more options for next turn if you don't deal with this five power one armor character um the fact that they had things like you know edi like you mentioned was absolutely fantastic but let's not forget about things like uh, information exchange continuing on that steel uh mechanic that we saw and one of my absolute total favorites mimic gel 
which basically is just a copy of a creature, which I've always loved and always thought was super cool. It's really just a set. It gave once again, the, the all round feel of logos that you had in the Coda era that just straightforward, like, yep, anything that you need, you can archive, you can draw cards, you have targeted destruction in the form of uh, neutron shark. You've got more broad destruction from the group think tanks. Um, there was just other neat stuff like the uh, self bolstering automata and reassembling automaton that really threw, like sort of a twist into your opponent's plans. Great first turn plays like Tau Tau Vapors, key cost increase with universal key lock. Can you tell that I'm just looking at the Archon Arcana page right now? <laughs> but I mean, of cards. <laughs> yeah, just straightforward. Like they yeah. have a little bit of everything and always have. And this was one of the sets where that little bit of everything came together in lots of interesting, different ways. And that's what made Logos so fun in this era. I also thought Discombobulator was interesting. Like oh, this, yeah. When we really started seeing the Steel Hate to emerge and the fact that Logos got a Steel Hate card in Discombobulator, I thought that was quite an interesting addition to the game because you didn't have a cannot steal function until this point. And then we saw Odak came in as well, doing the same thing in the dinosaur form. So that was that was quite interesting. I also think that Logos got the best leader in Worlds Collide, Zenzi. Just by far, I honestly think was my favorite, but also the best leader, the best effect for being in the center of the battle line. Mm, yeah, especially turn one, like a turn one play, you can't beat it. And with two armor, it's actually really hard for an opponent to get off the board even after turn one. So you probably have Zenzi on the board for a couple of turns. <laughs> yeah, the the best strategy for dealing with Zenzi is take out something on either side of your uh, your, your opponent's uh, battle line. But even then, you're risking on their next turn, them being able to put it back into effect. So, Totally. But I do think, so moving on to mass mutation, um, the, the amount of pips that were given to Logos weren't actually that large, but they were incredibly effective. I think one of the more powerful cards in the game that actually got any um, enhancements at all was Kronos. And that just made it so that drawing also allowed you to archive a card. And that's something that absolutely everyone was looking for. But on top of that, the card, the artifact auto encoder really also in my mind defined the meta for mass mutation. The idea Agreed. that someone could play an auto encoder and then just run the whole game really made it so that Logos for me, found one of the more one of the more powered um, disparities for me was in mass mutation. Yeah, I could I could definitely see that, um, and it's it is present. I mean, with a card like Professor Torado coming into the play, where it says each mutant creature gains a reap draw a card, and the abundance of mutants in Logos is uh, something that is quite oppressive. And you're right about the Kronos and the ability to archive and be efficient in this set was just absolutely through the charts. And then not only to have this archive, but have cards that have you benefit from having the archives as like a secondary function. And of course, I'm talking about Munchling or uh, Novu Dynamo, which unchecked can... Uh, like, if you forget about Novu Dynamo, you can literally lose the game because your opponent has five Ember. You're like, oh, they're good. They're not in check. And then they go Novu Dynamo. I have six Ember now, Forge. So it was really interesting to see those cards emerge. 
I was also really big on some of the very themey things that were happening within Mass Mutation when it came to Logos. Uh, you're absolutely right, Sydney. Auto Encoder is like arguably the best card in the entire set. I believe that the uh, Tabletop Royale guys were big proponents of that particular theory, and I, I can't find a reason to disagree with them. But I was also really into things like the Archivist in this era. Um, the Archivist decks I thought were really cool, especially with Ultra Graviton being in the mix. Um, I love Titan Engineer as sort of a reversal of, uh, you know, the key cost increase, um, seeing the return of like Skippy Time Hog and stuff like that was a lot of fun. It was just like a nice continuation of things from previous sets. And because of the draw pips that it had with like Adaptoid and stuff like that, there was always a lot of fun stuff going on. Like uh, getting a causal loop is a, it's an OK card, but a causal loop with a pip on it is good. A causal loop with two pips is great. And so there's lots of interesting little interactions like that that I was always very big on. Um, you know, uh, I was also a, a huge fan of Wild Wormhole on a Stick, Bot Bokton. Um, <laughs> so, you know, there's there's tons of just fun stuff happening in Logos in this set. And I think that in many ways they benefited the most from uh, pips on cards just because Logos is the recursion house. It's the draw house. It's the getting through your deck and then getting to play cards again house. And so if you have, let's say in another house, a bunch of uh, extra amber pips or any other like draw pips or anything else, the chances of you getting to get that benefit more than once when you have Logos on the go is much higher. And that was really advantageous. Also, with the um, lack of scaling amber control in, in the whole set and the return of the Coda-era effervescent principle really gave Logos the edge in, in mass mutation. But um, yeah, so finish off the uh, the set. Oh, just have one more. Oh, go ahead. Um, and this was when we saw the return of library card, which was library access deemed more fair because it was you couldn't just use it right away and just have a bomb turn. You almost had to take an L1 turn or hopefully you got it early and then your opponent had a chance to deal with it if they had artifact control, which is uh, was a really cool thing. And I, I really appreciated the reworking of that card and the fact that they took the time until this point to really iron out what it was and it stuck around, which is is really neat. Yeah, I, I was really glad you brought up library card, Blake, because I was going to say, you know, it's the fairer version of library access. But on top of that, we didn't see library card run away with the game, but it's still nope. a good card. Like it definitely has its use. And I, I liked the idea of put it down on the board and wait till you have a good handful of logos actions to really go to town. Um, you know, it, it was uh, just a real evolution in the way the game works and plays. Like I said, Code is like the just dropping bombs era, but then the game is more fun when it's not about those big swings and those crazy effects. It's about the deeper strategy. Mm -hmm. And this also has um, the third time printed Entropic Swirl, which is my personal favorite action card in the game. I will not say it is the most powerful, but I absolutely love Entropic Swirl. And for those of you who don't know, it's a action card that says playability choose a creature for each trait that creature has deal two damage to it and gain one and we also saw more traits on cards in this era so that really gave that damage plus ember gain aspect uh more of a boost which i absolutely loved i think it's such a fun and interesting card to pair with other things within the game and I guess just like uh, leaders in Worlds Collide, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the Giants and the mm -hmm. um, Alter Graviton, absolute best one. I, I 
I'm gonna put gonna put my um all my bets on Ultra Gravitron. It was definitely my favorite, but also it worked so well with the rest of the cards in the set. With the amount of archiving that the rest of the Logos cards could could do, Ultra Gravitron was very easily able to continue to use its power even after you pulled your archives. So I do think that although giant strategies not the um not my go-to. If I had a giant in my deck, Ultra Graviton is the one that I wanted. But moving on to Dark Tidings and rounding out all of the logos in all of the sets. So I I know we've uh, recently heard opinions about Dark Tidings from my uh, co-hosts here, but I'm going to I'm going to give a little bit of a different perspective. I do think that Dark Tidings kind of went back to the AOA combo focused, not AOA power level, but AOA combo focused strategies where there were a lot of cards that worked well together. And although super fun, not necessarily the easiest to get off or the most beneficial when played. So something like the groundbreaking discovery and rooftop laboratory reckless experimentation and Dr. Varactor, a four card combo, although incredibly awesome and definitely bucket list to actually pull off for me. It's not something I was excited to see in my deck if I if I was in a competitive situation, which actually hasn't been a lot of how I've played recently, simply because the uh, nature of my games have been a lot more casual. So it's been a lot more fun to play with um, Dark Tidings because of that reason. I mean, I, I feel like Dark Tidings um, evolves a lot of the things that I think are interesting about Logos into directions that I don't know if they're as effective as they were in previous sets. Um, I, I wouldn't go so far as to say they've been nerfed because I still think that they're quite powerful. But honestly, like Logos, uh, I feel like I've seen less truly dominant Logos uh, decks in this era more so than any other with that said there's still lots of really interesting things that were put into the set um i i feel like forgive or forget is really excellent either archive two cards of different types from your discard pile which is great that's super good recursion like literally play that and next turn any house you could have an effect you've already played back um or a creature you've already played back um or you know purge up to two cards from each discard pile so like half of a uh, uh um uh, 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 an infernus um you know it just uh, the, the, when i go through my decks from dark tidings and admittedly like i have fewer dark tidings decks than i do any other set uh having only purchased two boxes of it i just don't find that it has the same zippiness uh in my logos decks it has good effects there's still some cool destruction there's still some stuff that i think is interesting but it's certainly not necessarily like the logos that we saw in other sets which perhaps is the reason why they're refreshing it a little bit or giving it some time off to come back refreshed in a future set no i i see what you're saying alex for sure like it's uh you're definitely right uh, one thing that i do really appreciate that they did was take a card like data forge which was really kind of like when you saw it in the worlds collide area you're like how do you possibly pull this off like you couldn't you could rarely get enough to really make it work and then they created final analysis and just that combo just became this whole new thing where this card suddenly had legs. It was easy to pull off. You could pull it off more than once with a forgive and forget as well. Like it just provided such an interesting new component. Like it was, it almost became like a Martian generosity sort of thing, mm -hmm. but you needed the board and they balanced that out by having less of a really high creature count decks, which I thought was kind of interesting 
with a card like Final Analysis. But uh, I, I agree that this it did go a little bit backwards and it does have this kind of AOA feel, but I think that could be said for the set as a whole. That's a good point. I did have a lot of really... A lot of fun games with Dark Tidings, but I think I, I also, I can attribute that to very specific cards, cards that made made individual games super fun, like um, uh, Archon's Callback. It's a fantastic card to have on your first um, your first turn. It's Omega, but it's play draw five cards. So it's that's a very, very Logos card. And it's something that if you you have it in your opening hand, you're definitely not going to mulligan. And so there were there were lots of things in uh, Dark Tidings Logos that were super fun to play. Um, but I also, I can see why this is... This is a good set for them to um, retire logos for now. Not, it's definitely, hopefully, going to come back from retirement at some point. But I think that you're right that this is a great time for them to hit the reset button, add a couple of different houses, um, have the the meta shift for a couple of different sets. We'll see a lot of new mechanics, and then I think logos can come back super strong with a lot of different things incorporated into to new versions of cards. Um, but do, do either of you two have anything to, to polish off Dark Tidings? Yeah, I mean, I found it really interesting playing logos in Dark Tidings based on the feel of it. Like when, like, I don't know how to describe it, but when I played Worlds Collide logos and I played Mass Mutation logos, there was like a feeling when you played the house that it feels off when you're playing it in dark tidings and i found that very strange in a way like just like this it's like i don't know how to describe it it's not like a any tangible sort of thing it's just like it it felt off to me and i found that so strange but at the same time it wasn't like less enjoyable it just was like this doesn't feel like in a way like logos but everything like when you look at everything it's like this is logos but why does it not feel that way you know i i totally agree with you i think I I got that feeling a lot with the uh, the card Chronophage. It's mm. um it's a creature that says your opponent's creatures and artifacts gain Omega. And uh, I've been in a, a couple of games where not only did I have it and or my opponent had it, and it really doesn't feel like Logos to me. It's a very it's it's sometimes a feel bad card. And other than when you get a, a lot of combos and your your turn might take extra long, there are not a lot of cards in Logos that are feel bad cards. So I think that that Chronophage, although kind of powerful and um, can can be um, can be gotten around in a lot of different ways, I do think that it actually brought that that off feeling for me too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what's funny is if you put that card in disc, I think it has a completely different feeling. It's it should be in dis. I, I definitely I actually think it should and be this in dis. The lack of dis, maybe that's we're gonna see that. Like, and this is what I'm curious about is will we see something like this in the new houses where we see things that are not very in tune with house identity to help pick up the slack of some of these houses we're talking about not being present. I'm very curious about that. I think you're completely correct. I think going forward they are going to have to spread out the utility that logos provided amongst multiple houses. I don't mm. I don't think that one house can replace logos unless it it again becomes top of the meta. And I 
think that's that's not a bad thing. Like Logos became a an incredible powerhouse. And with that power came a lot of responsibility. But being able to spread that love over the course of multiple houses will actually allow a lot more diversity in, in top tier decks. Yeah, I'd I like, like to see a lot more deck manipulation in some other houses. Um, I would love to see some of the great destruction effects that we've seen over the years in Logos get a little bit more distribution as well. You know, uh, like I said, they've always been good at everything. So maybe, you know, they can still be good at everything, but maybe some other houses might be able to get some of that love. You know, if, if Broadnar is coming back in this set, maybe they can get a little bit of some of that destruction. <laughs> uh, I feel like that's not a bad fit for them. No, not at all. As long as they spread the draw and the archiving and all of the mechanics across multiple houses, then then the us Logos lovers will uh, be satisfied. So fun to have this conversation. Really looking forward to talking about Untamed next week because Untamed is such a mixed bag um, across the entirety of Keyforge. And I think that, you know, go, breaking this down set by set really does give us a little bit of perspective. This might even be a fun exercise for uh, some of the houses that are not going to be leaving the game. We, of course, will be back next week with that conversation, but we can't finish this episode without the titular segment. This one's called... Help, Help from, future, from self. future Self. Blake, what do you got for us? All right, so... I played Sealed this past week, and we decided to dive into Mass Mutations because due to the pandemic, that's not really something we ever got to play in a Sealed format. And uh, the deck I had had nothing to do with Mass Mutations, but just giving you the rundown. Uh, I noticed this situation occurred, and it has occurred many times. And this is a help from Future Self where I'm more, I'm more calling out to you our listeners to get your perspective as well because I'm slightly stumped and I noticed in my games I lost the same way and it wasn't a blowout but at the end you get this moment where you're stuck having to call a house over and over again to keep your opponent off check but the problem with doing that is either a you're drawing less and less cards or b you're not drawing any cards and you just kind of get to a point where you know you can't win, but you're just trying to hang on at the end because hopefully there's some sort of swing. And I found it such an interesting thing, the fact that it happened twice in a row with the same deck. And I also found it interesting to be in that position. And I'm just wondering, listeners, what is your experience where you get kind of put in a corner, we'll say, you paint yourself in a corner where you can't draw cards and you can't call another house and you're just kind of stuck trying to hang on. How do you deal with this? Is it something you have to foresee much sooner in the game and maybe take an L before then? Because that's where I'm kind of leaning to is maybe sometimes you need to take an L before you get into panic mode and trying to just survive and cycle some cards. Or is there a better strategy than that? I'm curious what your thoughts are because it was an interesting thing to experience, I will say. All right. You can find us on Twitter at HFFS Podcast. You can find me at Skazik Ruin on The Crucible and on Instagram and on Twitter. Sydney, where can they find you? I am, as always, SC Steel on TCO and Discord. And Blake, where can they find you? What have you got going on? Oh, I got nothing going on right now. Just just <laughs> hanging loose. Decide to be a little more chill this week. Um, I'm on Twitter at Boulevard Blake. That's B L V D Blake. And uh 
hit me up on Discord, Boulevard Blake, number sign 3840, if you want to have a conversation there or jam some games on TCO. Taking it easy this week. Be streaming on Saturday. Actually, on on Blake's behalf, the um, day that this drops, the ABR League will close oh, their yes. signups. So if you want Thank to be you. on Blake's team, go ahead and sign up for ABR. That's what I got going on. I'm an ABR captain this season, and I'm excited to draft a team. I think it's this weekend we're doing it too. So yes, nice. uh, be sure to sign up before then. And uh, I'm looking to see some familiar names that I can pull into the fold. All right. We'll be back with you next week with a conversation about Untamed. Rick's going to be here. Until then, stay fortunate.